<laughs> Malwedge. <laughs> love it. The beginning of a love that shows through family. Or more importantly, the difference between a contract and a covenant. I thought that was kind of a fitting way to start this sermon off today. Um, in case you missed it, that's the princess bride, the wedding scene. And uh, I could watch that all day long. Um, I need to kind of caveat this sermon uh, as we talk about a love that shows through family. I am going to be talking about marriage a lot today, but if you're not married, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, um, if you're not even thinking about getting married yet, <clears throat> good job, uh, just don't tune me out today, okay? These, the things that we're going to talk about, these principles will work in every area of your life. And, and also, because this is from God's Word, you will get meat out of this. And God's Word always changes us if we allow it to. So don't tune me out if you think it doesn't apply. Um, also, uh, I need to say, don't hear this um, for someone else, okay? Don't start nudging your spouse or, you know, whatever. Just don't hear this for someone else. Don't sit there and think, oh, I wish they were here today. Hear this for yourself. As we look Today, at a love that shows through family, I want to talk about the difference between two things, a contract and a covenant. Because we live in a world that is contract-driven. Uh, we live in a world that uh, it's just a contract is our reality. And, and the thing is, what a contract does is it, it protects our rights and it limits our responsibilities. That's really what a, what a contract does when you boil it all down. Think about that for a minute. Buying a car buying or renting a home, starting a business. Uh, some of you, you have to renew your job contract every year. So, so the, the contract protects our rights and it limits our responsibilities. But in a covenant, in an actual covenant, we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. And to live a love that shows through family, we have three things that we need to give up and three things that we need to pick up. And I'm going to be talking about those today. But you have to understand something. Marriage never works with a contract spirit. It only works in a covenant spirit. And I'm going to focus on marriage a lot today because it's the foundation for a love that shows through our families. Marriage works 100% of the time if both people live the covenant. It takes two. But it works 100% of the time when both people live the covenant and live marriage with a covenant spirit, not with a contract spirit. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to look at what your word has to say about family and marriage. I pray that, that we'll listen. I pray that we'll apply it to our lives. And, and I thank you for the examples you give us in your word. I thank you for... Um, the accountability of your word that we have. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to start out by sharing a few things with you about covenant. You see, if we really take covenant as far out as we can, the ultimate covenant spirit is Jesus Christ. When he came to this earth, he gave up all of his rights as God in heaven, and he came to this earth and he picked up our responsibilities. Not only did he pick him up, but he fulfilled our responsibilities by laying down his rights. Are you with me on that? 
feel free at any time to say amen too, because this is this is one of those that I can I could use a little feedback on. Because I'm how you say nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof with this one. All right, but but that's how it is. He came and he laid down. He gave up his rights, and he picked up our responsibilities. If we do that in our marriages, it will work. If we do that in our families, if, if we will live a love that shows through our families if we can do that. If you give up your rights and pick up your responsibilities. In today's society, we do a lot of that. I deserve better than this. Uh, we do it in our jobs. Hey, they can't talk to me like that. I'm supposed to be in charge. Or even though they're in charge, they can't talk to me. I have rights. I have, I have abilities. But in our marriage and family, if we, can, if we can lay down those rights, give up our rights and pick up our responsibilities... It will work, and we will have a family that is, is essentially a God-honoring covenant. Now, as we get into this a little bit deeper, again, don't, I can't reemphasize about don't listen to this message for someone else. If you're here, if you're listening online, this message is for you. Uh, and, and I want you to see how you can apply it to your life, see how you can apply it to relationships, see how you can apply it to your family. Covenant defines the parameters and the spirit of marriage. I'm going, to, I'm going to start out in Genesis chapter 2 today. You can go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to talk about the very first marriage in the Bible. It goes like this. God created Adam and Eve and put them in marriage. Okay? That's Genesis chapter 2, all summed up. Uh, but that's, that's how it went. And, and by the way, the Hebrew word for covenant means to cut, if you didn't know that. So if you want to hear about covenant, God cut Adam, and he took Eve out. Okay? We're going to get into that. I'm actually going to read the scripture in a second. But God cut Adam, and he took Eve out. You want to see covenant again? God cut Jesus, and he took his bride out. Eve came out of Adam's side. We came out of Jesus' side, so to speak, as Jesus laid down his rights and picked up our responsibilities. The first covenant ever, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. I'm going to read that right now. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Listen, God was not talking to Adam and Eve there in verse 24. He's talking to us. He's setting a precedence for the covenant of marriage. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother. Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother. He wasn't sharing that for them. That was being put in place for us. He is establishing the rights of covenant here. So I want to talk about the three things we need to give up, or the rights that we need to give up in order to really do this. The first one is priority. And how that works, when we give up the right of priority, really what you're saying to your spouse is this. I give you the right as my spouse to be the first priority in my life and to protect that place against anything you may see as competition. I give you the right to be the first priority in my life and to protect it. Hey, Fat Rock, I thought God should be first. God, family, work. Isn't that what you always say? Yes, I tell people that all the time in our priorities. There should be God, family, business. But you know what I've realized in my life? When I put Mitzi first, I'm putting God first. Now, they're not the same. Don't, don't jump to conclusions. 
She is amazing, but I know the difference. But when I'm putting my wife first and I'm loving her like Christ loves his church, then I really am. I'm putting God first when I do that. God is first spiritually. I've got to submit myself to his authority. But here on earth, she is first. She has priority in my life over all things, over sports, over friends, over hobbies, over jobs. And I make no apologies for that. A man shall leave his father and mother and be with his wife. Our spouse should be our highest priority. Right now, if you're single and and you're doing it on your own, God love you. You're an amazing individual. But I want you to know that that that's that's replaced with your kids right now. You don't have to worry about getting remarried or getting reattached to somebody else. Right now, make your kids that priority in your life. When we're in a covenant with God, he's first in our lives spiritually. And we're in a covenant with our spouse. They are our priority. And if your spouse isn't your priority, you've already started to slip from covenant to contract in your marriage. The next right that we have to give up is the right of possession. This one's hard because we live in a very materialistic world. I have to give you the right to co-own everything. I talk to people a lot. I've, I've done some counseling with people who, who have um, in the process of, of starting families together, second families. And that's one of the things I tell them, no more mine when you get married. And, and as I talk with couples who've never been married, there's no more mine. And, and guys have a hard time grasping that because we think that we should still have our friends and our toys and our things it doesn't work that way anymore. When you get married, Genesis 2, 24, they shall become one flesh. That's not just for a moment. That is for life. It's ours now. Do you understand that? It's, it's ours. The kids are ours. The vacation is ours. The house is ours. The bills, even though your wife probably racked most of them up, they're still ours. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding now. <laughs> they're ours. It, it's ours. The computer is ours. All right. Those things are now ours. There's no more mine. There's no more individual here. It's us. It's our. It's we. And if we don't understand this, if we can't give up the right of possession, it will affect everything that happens in your marriage. And kids, especially you junior, senior hires that are listening to this. If you're part of this family, you also give up the right of possession because your parents have the right to possess your things at any time. Your phone, your car, your computer, your door to your room, whatever it is. I've told many a parent, take the door off their room, start there. Well, they need privacy. No, they don't. They can go use the restroom. They can change clothes in the restroom. If that's how they're doing life, they don't need that much privacy. You take the door off. Take the phone. You're paying for it anyways. That's, it's, it's not yours. It's ours. That's what family is. Family is we, us, our It's their right of possession to be your parent, not your best friend. When you get older, older, you'll thank them for being your parent, and they will be your best friend. But right now, it's their right to be your parent. Another example of this possession thing is money. It's not my money. It's our money. Gentlemen, I will tell you this. The only reason you should have a separate checking account is if your wife does the bills and you want to surprise her with gifts that you can lavish upon her throughout the year so she won't know about it. All right? The only reason. I can't buy Mitzi anything because she runs our stuff because I'm not good at it. So there you have it. have to hide money so I can surprise her with things. (laughs) 
but money. We have to give up the right of priority. Guys, if you're working and your wife's the stay-at-home mom, that's her money too. Because she's probably putting in just as many hours as you are. It's our money. We must give up the right of priority. The right of possession. I know. (laughs) And the third right that we have to give up. This is a tough one. This is the one that nobody wants to give up. It's the right of privacy. See, when we give up the right of privacy, we are saying to our spouse, I give you free and unhindered access to every part of my life. And I give you the right to confront me in an issue where I need it in those areas without fear of retaliation. Nobody likes to give up that right. Let me tell you something. My cell phone doesn't have a passcode on it. Everything I have that holds a password, she knows what it is, which is good because I forget it a lot. (laughs) How do I log back into that, honey? Um, I could joke about it, but, it, but it's reality. I give, I give her free and unhindered access to every part of my life. We cannot have a successful marriage with secrets. It doesn't work. Whoa. Where'd you get that from? Well, I got it from Genesis 2.25. It's a very simple verse. And they were both naked and were not ashamed. Listen, in a covenant relationship, there are no secrets Naked is another way of saying this. This is wide open. This is as real as it's going to get. And in a covenant relationship, that's how we are. Transparent. There are no private journals. There are no secret email accounts. There's no past that she doesn't know about. There's no thought that she can't get into. There's nothing in my day that I won't review with her if she needs it. My wife's a teacher and I'm a minister. We both have aspects of our jobs that maintain confidentialities for other people. And we understand that. But don't think for a minute that I don't share with her when I have a burden or when I need advice. There's no secrets. It doesn't work that way. Marriage and family does not work with a contract spirit. It works with a covenant spirit. It works because there's nothing hidden, nothing secret. Those are the three things we need to give up to be in a covenant marriage. The right of priority. Your spouse has to come first. The right of possession. You share everything. And the right of privacy. Your spouse can and should know anything and everything about you. But what are the things we need to pick up in order to have a covenant marriage? Now we're going to jump to Ephesians chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there. I'm going to start with verse 22. Ephesians 5.22 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives are cringing right now because they're not sure where I'm going to go on this soapbox. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to jump down to verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Guys, the first thing we need to pick up in order to live a life of, in order to live a love that shows through family is love. You may be sitting there going, well, duh. (laughs) We need to pick up love. Let me put it to you this way. When we love, I assume the responsibility to love you 
according to the standard of Christ's love and never justify any action or word that falls to a lower standard. Do you understand that? I will love you absolutely no matter what. God's love is unconditional. God loves you no matter what. No matter what you do, you can't do anything to get God to stop loving you. Why? Because he is a covenant-keeping God, that's why. And that's who he is. And in our marriages and with our families, with our kids, that's the only way it works. In other words, it goes like this. I will love you absolutely no matter what. You see, the difference here between a covenant and a contract is in a contract, if you don't fulfill your responsibility, then I'm released from my responsibility. You see where that leads to? That's not the way it is in a covenant. In a covenant, whether you do what you're supposed to do or not, I'm still going to do what I'm supposed to do. That's a covenant. That's what God says. That's what God does. And here's what God says. Even if you're faithless, I will remain faithful to you. Even when you mess up, I won't mess up. Even when you choose not to love me, I will keep loving you. Because a covenant is unconditional. It's irrevocable and it's unbreakable. Folks, we all have an enemy out there. And as much as you may think it is sometimes, it's not your spouse or your significant other. It's not your kids. It's not your grandparents. The enemy that we have out there is Satan. And what I'm about to tell you is very important. And it's one of the hardest things for me to get across to people when we do marriage counseling. Don't ever say this. If my spouse ever does this, our marriage is over. Whatever this is for you, don't ever say that. Because when you say that, and if you've said that, do you know what you've done or what you will do? You just told Satan the one area that he needs to work on to destroy your marriage. And so Satan's over here and he's like, oh, my thank you very much. I was working on your husband or wife in a different area. I was way off. All I need to do is attack this one thing in their life. I'll get your husband or wife to fail. I will get them to fall in that area and I will destroy your marriage. I will destroy your family. You see, Satan hates marriage. He hates marriage because it's the image of God. A covenant marriage is the image of God. The world can look at a Christian marriage and family and see the very reflection of God. Satan can't stand that. And we need to do a better job of protecting our marriages and of protecting our families so that we can be a good reflection of God and his covenant love for us. Amen? When we say, I'm going to love you no matter what, here's what we're saying. I don't care how bad you feel today. Or I love you. I don't care that you're acting like your mama today. I love you. Our wives say, I don't care that you're being a big jerk today. I love you. Or that you just want some time alone. I love you no matter what. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. I love you. And I will never justify any action or word that falls below that standard. That's what we need in our families today. Let me tell you this. Nothing justifies an unloving husband and nothing justifies a dishonoring wife. Remember, I just read through Ephesians. I want to tell you, and again, this is one of the harder things to, to get through as I'm doing premarital counseling and stuff with people. A loving husband can heal a dishonoring wife. And on, on the flip side to that, an honoring wife can heal an unloving husband. It's hard to get people to understand that because the problem is we can't get past ourselves. It goes back to the things we need to give up. 
Sometimes we just can't get past ourselves to love and honor each other. It's time to pick up our responsibilities in marriage and family. If you love like you should, the next thing that we need to pick up should be easy to do. It's honor. Honor works like this. When I honor you, I assume the responsibility to honor you and do everything possible to help you achieve your highest potential and God's perfect will for your life. I assume the responsibility to honor you. You see, God designed men to reach their potential with a woman helping them. And he designed women to reach their potential with a man helping her. It's a partnership. One of the greatest lies that our society is telling people today is that you don't need a man to reach your potential or you don't need a woman to reach your potential. That's not how God designed it. I can do so much more in my potential for the kingdom of God because Mitzi and I are in a covenant relationship and she is alongside me to support and encourage and honor along that way. And she will do so much more for the kingdom because we are in a covenant relationship than if we were in a contract. We have to understand that. Men, if we love our wives like Christ loves the church and honor them, that will heal so many wounds and it will solidify our families. We need to honor our spouses and help them reach their full potential for the kingdom. Let me put it this way. God created everything and he said, that's good. You know how this works. In Genesis 1-1, he, he created the heavens and the earth. That's good. He rested. He, he created the trees and the animals. It's good. It's good. He goes through all of creation saying that's good as he creates each day. And then he creates man. And he says, that's not good. <laughs> the one thing he created and said it wasn't good was man alone without woman. But not only do we need to pick up love in our marriage and our families, we need to pick up honor in our marriage and our families. Those things all go together. In order to be good, that's what God's called us to do. The third thing we need to pick up, and this is one that most people want to set down, is submission. Because in a covenant relationship, we need submission. I assume the responsibility to serve you by first submitting my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by surrendering to his word as the standard for my life and my wife and my marriage and my family. No one likes this one. We like the one that says, wives, submit to your husbands. We get down to it. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Both need love. Both need honor. Both need to submit. But both need to submit to the Lord first. And whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're widowed, wherever you are, if you're not submitting to the Lord first, none of these things are going to be applicable in your life. But when you truly submit to the Lord, you will submit to one another. Your marriage covenant will honor God and it will far outlast any contractual agreement or contractual marriage. And when you submit to God first, if you truly live out Ephesians 5, God will be by your side. And you can, you will be able to honor him with a love that shows in your marriage. As we begin to, re to prepare for a time of response, I want to share with you from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And it goes like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I added a few thoughts to these verses that I want to share with you. And we're going to start back in verse 4. Love is patient. It tolerates you leaving dirty dishes in the sink. I'm the one that leaves dirty dishes in the sink, so, (laughs) yep. Love is kind. It warms up the car so it's not cold in the winter. It rubs your wife's stinky feet after she's had a long day. It does not envy when your spouse is given a promotion. It does not boast of your own greatness. It is not proud. It will apologize even when you're not wrong. Verse 5, it does not dishonor others with harsh words or actions. It's not easily angered over spilt milk and the like. It keeps no record of wrongs or how many times the toilet seat is left up. (laughs) Or the dirty clothes not put in the hamper. Love does not delight in bringing last week's argument into this week's discussion. But it rejoices with truth and it embraces openness. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Here's the bottom line. If we are truly going to seek out God's vision in our lives as Christians, we need to prepare ourselves to do whatever it takes to live a love that shows through our marriage and our family. We must lay down the right of priority. Your spouse has to come first. We must lay down the right of possession. You share everything. We must lay down the right of privacy. Your spouse can know anything about you. We must pick up love. Love unconditionally. We must honor one another. And we must pick up submission to God and to our families. I want you to think on these things as we play this song. It's called Love is Not a Fight, but it's something worth fighting for. And if you're ready to live this, come and and start today. Publicly claim that you will begin or continue these things in your marriage and for your family. Think on what God would have you do. Because the reality is, as we go through life, Satan wants us to separate. God wants to keep us together. And it's very true. Love is not a fight, but it is something worth fighting for. We have many people in our congregation that um, this represents. Come on up. You've got them. Come on, come on. They're shy. There you go. You stand right, right there. You don't have to worry about the steps. Just... Hold those out. These people that are standing here with us today, they've seen a lot. I asked them to bring up pictures from when they were young couples, early married. 
And then also pictures of their families. Some of their spouses aren't here with us any longer. But they were people who were, were pivotal in things like starting churches, telling others about Jesus, loving their families. If we added up the time that all of these couples have been married, it would be astounding. If I was a quick mathematician, I'd do that right now, but my mind just can't conceive those numbers. But I want to tell you, they've come to realize that love is something worth fighting for. And every couple here, every person that's here right now could tell you probably tons of stories of, of hardship and, and heartbreak. But they'd also tell you they do it all over again with that same person. And God only knows why. <laughs> that was for you, Miss Linda, not for him. All right. But I'm telling you, it works. These are not perfect people. But they made a perfect God, Lord of their lives. They made their submission to him so they could submit to one another. And the outcome is something that we may never see while we're alive. Because the ripple effect of the kingdom of God is amazing. And it starts right here. With a foundation of love, with husband and wife, building a family, raising them up in the Lord and sending them out. Wow. These guys are an example of people who serve the kingdom with their families. They made mistakes, but they've they've chosen the right of priority, the right of possession, the right of privacy. They've chosen to love and to honor and submit to their families and their spouses. We're going to do something a little bit different right now. And I know some of you are thinking, well, we haven't had communion yet. It can't be over. It's not. But I wanted to just pause and reflect with each other. And the elders are going to come up. We're going to take a minute, and each of our elders are just going to pray over our church, over our families. Not necessarily by name, but just... Microphone. Um, and uh, we're going to let Mike start, and they're just going to kind of um, pray over us, pray for our families. Gentlemen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the beginning you saw that it was not good that man was alone, but you created... Uh, a helpmate that was suitable. And Father, uh, as we go through life, uh, it is easier to go through life together, and we appreciate the gift that you have given us. Father, may our uh, relationships be honoring to you uh, as we um, continue to serve you here in this life. Let's celebrate and clap and just lose our minds for a moment, because right here, the legacy that, that is here... Thank you. Make sure you ask these folks two things today after church. One, can I see the pictures you have? And then say, tell me about your grandchildren. Okay? (laughs) That needs to happen. Uh, We're going to continue in in our time of worship with with communion and offering at this time. And then we're going to have some songs and we're going to go on and just kind of end today on a celebratory note. So go ahead and get ready. The world would have us believe that love is about roses and fancy cars and jewels and every kiss begins with K and beautiful (laughs) clothes and its trip to exotic places. God would have us believe otherwise. So my question is, are you prepared to follow the world's vision or God's vision? 
I'm glad you're here today to worship with us, and I hope you've been challenged by God's Word. And as you go, I want to challenge you to go seeking ways to live out your marriage covenant, seeking ways to live out the covenant for your family, and let God be the reflection that the world sees as you live a love that shows through your family. Will you pray with me? Father God, it's amazing to witness you move amongst your people. I thank you for the, the legacies of love that are, that are here in this room, and I thank you for the ripple effect of families of good, solid Christian people who decided to stick it out and, and who decided to do whatever it takes um, to honor you. Lord, no matter what our situation is, I pray that you will refresh us, that you will renew us, you will give us strength to continue raising up our families, to continue being accountable to one another right here so that we can go out and be a reflection of your love, that your love will show through us, through our families, through our relationships with others. In your son's name we pray. Amen.